Morning, church. Morning. Questions. Uh, we all have them. Uh, often we'll kind of stuff them away or, or just hang out on the safe answer, but we all have questions. I want to give you some recommendations of a few books. Uh, so if you're into taking notes, uh, you can jot some of these down. I'll have them up here afterwards as well. Uh, we're going to be hitting suffering and, and pain today. Uh, a few of them are from C.S. Lewis. Maybe you've read them before. A Grief Observed. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, really, uh, it's really him pouring out his heart on losing his wife uh, that he refers to as H. Uh, and she uh, is an amazing woman and he lost her and so he really opens up his heart in that grief. Uh, another one by C.S. Lewis, uh, The Problem of Pain. We're going to be talking about that today. Problem of Pain is an incredible one, just given a theological idea. Uh, concepts on uh, how do you deal with pain and loss and suffering. Uh, Paul Tripp uh, is an amazing speaker and author. He wrote this book on suffering. Uh, it's a little bit more in-depth, but it's amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, and so if you're looking anything, and, and this is all relative, right? So your suffering might be different from the next person's, but this is a great one. And then Timothy Keller wrote this one, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Uh, all of these will be up here. There, there are so many other books um, that are written on this topic, um, but I thought I'd just bring a handful uh, if you're interested in doing some additional reading. And maybe that video, um, when you're watching that video, maybe you've said to yourself either right now or in past weeks, hey, that's my question. <laughs> uh, I have one of those questions. That's that's one I want answered. Uh, and, and what we're hoping to do is answer some of these largest questions that have to do with God and, and his nature. Uh, obstacles that come up in, in faith, but also just trying to really understand this God that we sing about. Uh, and so that's really the, the emphasis of this sermon series. Uh, Mark, the Pope, Popenhagen did a great job last week uh, talking about does life have purpose. If you've missed any of these, they're on our app, but they're also on our website, uh, rockcreekchurch.org. You can go visit that. You can get all the discussions questions. You can catch up on all the videos, or if you want to download the audio, all of that's available on there. Uh, first week was, was what? Is there a God? Yeah. Is there a God? Uh, and then Pope hit, uh, does life have purpose? And there is perhaps no greater challenge to the faith than the presence of pain and suffering in this world. And so that's where we're going uh, this morning on, on our journey. If you would open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to dive into some things a little bit. Um, whether you're a theist or an atheist, pain seems to be... Uh, kind of, if you would, the university of faith, right? Uh, it's, it's where you learn faith uh, in pain often. Uh, Paul says this about his own experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's also going to be on the screen uh, as well. And, and there's also uh, Bibles in several of the seats in front of you if you want to grab one of those. Here's what Paul says. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, you can read about those previous things stated 
repeated in the book. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh. And we never really find out what that thorn is. It, but Paul goes on to refer to it as a messenger of Satan to torment me. Uh, the next time you have a pain in your heart or you're going through suffering, uh, grab Paul's phrasing and, and refer to it as a messenger of Satan uh, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I don't know if you've been able to get there yet. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am what? strong. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard this passage. You've read this passage. You've probably quoted it uh, to someone. You also know how difficult it is to be able to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. This why question, why is there pain and suffering? This is not a new question. It's not a new question for your generation, for my generation, for past generations. This is absolutely nothing new. It was asked by the Old Testament writer Job that I just finished reading. It's a miserable book. Um, it ends well, but it's just excruciating to get through. Uh, the writers of the Psalms, and it was especially relevant in the 20th century. We witnessed two world wars, the Holocaust, genocides in the Soviet Union and China, devastating famines in Africa, the killings in Cambodia, the emergence of AIDS, the genocide in Rwanda, the ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. The 20th century, man, we saw our fair share of difficulties. The 21st century didn't start off much better. 9-11, Syrian slaughters, mass, school, theater, and workplace shootings, and on and on and on. And if you turn on the news, it continues. There will be something today. There will be something tomorrow. And so why do all of these horrific things happen, happen if there is a loving and powerful God? That's what we want to wrestle with. And to make it even more personal, why is there pain and suffering? Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, why is there suffering? We know that reading the scriptures that Jesus knew pain. We see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Do you remember that story? The humanity of our Lord. We, we see Jesus weeping over uh, an unrepentant Jerusalem. So it's not just to the individual, it's to a nation that pains his heart. He knew physical pain from the cross. Personal pain of loneliness and sorrow. He knew the pain and the suffering of rejection. He knew what it was like to have those closest to him turn their back on him. Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Here's a struggle we have. In our Western culture, we resist pain and suffering at any moment. We run from it. We read on books on how to avoid it. We get through it as fast as humanly possible. And we resist the exact thing that the Bible says shouts of God's power. And that is our weakness. This question, why is there pain and suffering in the world, has haunted humanity since the beginning of time. In the, in the ancient Near East, there are lots of writings. Uh, there are, three, and they're old, three and four thousand year old uh, Mesopotamian and Akkadian stories that really speak to try and answer some of these questions regarding pain and suffering. And, and here's how these writings go. There are good gods and there are bad gods. The good things that happen in this world, in this life, are a direct result of the good gods. And the bad things that happen in this world are a direct result of the bad gods. That's ancient Near East. In Eastern theology, particularly in Confucianism, it's a strong relationship to the yin and yang. Have you heard that? It, it picture um, uh, direct opposites that are interconnected, right? So hot and cold, um, light and dark. And so that's an explanation of then good and bad. The problem with these theologies is they answer the fact that they are happening, but they don't answer the question of why. And that's what we're after this morning. When most people think about pain and suffering, regardless of what your view of God is, it almost always comes back to God. Surprising. For those who say there isn't a God, when you discuss pain and suffering, it will still come back to God. It's still someone's fault. It's God's fault. In a polytheistic worldview, pain and suffering are simply, they're factors based on malicious gods. They're doing something wrong. But in a monotheistic worldview, why would God, and now make it personal, why would our God, the living, true creator God, why would God allow pain and suffering? If God is good, the argument goes, he would just eliminate pain and suffering. And if he's powerful, he would be able to eliminate pain and suffering. But there's evil in this world. There's suffering in this world. You all know this. You've experienced it. And so the thinking goes, either God is not loving, he is not all-powerful, or there's no God. These are the concepts, these are the thought process, these are the, the questions that come up regarding God and his nature. And it's something that we need to be able to wrestle with, not only for our own ability to understand, but then to have conversations with friends and neighbors and associates, to have this honest discussion. We have to do something with pain. We have to do something with suffering. 
Philosophers and theologians call this attempt to understand and come up with an answer theodicy. It's a theological word that just describes how are we, what are we going to do with pain and suffering in regards to God. And so this isn't new for us. But regardless of when and why the question of, of pain and suffering has been posed throughout all generations, one can suggest that it is primarily a Christian worldview issue. Stay with me. We're going to unpack some things before we answer some things. Is that okay? So let, let's just keep the brain going a little bit. If God is the benevolent creator and the sustainer of life depicted in our Christian tradition, by tradition I just mean what has been handed down from generation to generation, from the beginning of time in the scriptures all the way down to the next generation, if in fact he is the benevolent creator and sustainer of life, then he should be able and be willing to eliminate pain and suffering. But he doesn't. And as Christians, I don't know about you, card, my cards on the table, I have struggled with this. Because my heart wants to shout to the rooftops, you are a good and loving God. You are all powerful and you want nothing but good for your children. And yet my wife is in pain every minute of every day. And that has not been taken. And so I have struggled with this, and I hope that you have had an honest struggle with God in this topic as well. Evangelistic atheists will argue this point. God would not allow suffering and outright evil to persist in his creation. Therefore, according to most atheists, he can't exist. Or if he does, if he does... He lacks the characteristics of a good God. Now circle the word good. Uh, again, be thinking about the scriptures. Be thinking about who God is in his nature. And remember the word good. Here's the problem. In order to consider something evil or not exactly uh, perfect or, or bad or unnecessary, one presupposes a moral standard. To measure it. Are you with me so far? That thinking goes then that evil is only such when compared to something that's not evil. We're swinging things back to is there a God? What is written on the hearts of mankind? What's the moral and ethical code that's been wired in our hearts? So in other words, in order to have something that is considered evil, it has to be compared to something that is absolutely good. But if human experience is entirely random, if life just happens, then good and bad things are just the way they are. We can't attribute any moral experience to any of them. It just happened. But we know that's not true. We see injustice. Things don't just happen. And an assumption that God does exist 
is implicit in this discussion. And here's why. Because there is pain and suffering. It does exist. It exists in your life. It exists in my life. It exists in those who we love. So to answer the question, would a good God eliminate pain and suffering? That's the question we have to ask first. If God is good, would he eliminate it? How many of you have spent time reading C.S. Lewis? Any of you? Raise your hand. Amazing in his thinking. He addresses this very question in this book, The Problem of Pain. He walks you through. Now, some of you are significantly smarter than me, so you'll fly through it. I have to read like a page or two and sit and try and understand what he's saying and, and really process it. Some of you will pick it up a whole lot faster. But here's what he says when uh, talking about the problem of pain. He says that humanity desires not so much a good God, but a kind God. So we're going to look at good and kind. Kindness, according to Lewis, says this, cares not whether its subject becomes good or bad, provided only that it escapes suffering. We want not so much a father, but a grandfather in heaven. Lewis suggests that a truly loving father would rather see the loved ones suffer much than be happy in contemplable and estranging modes. In other words, how many of you are grandfathers? Yeah, you're different as a grandpa than you were as a dad. <laughs> and you're different to those grandkids than you were as a dad. As a dad, you're like, nope, they got to learn the lesson. As a grandpa, you're like, oh, bubble wrap, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I got to protect my kids. C.S. Lewis is, is saying, we don't really want a dad. We want a grandpa because grandpas are fun. Grandpas spoil you. Grandpas say, hey, you want it? You got it. Let's go out and, and I'll sugar you up and it's your parents' issue, not mine, right? Amen. <laughs> In other words, a good God may not eliminate pain and suffering from the world because they are used to accomplish meaningful ends. And a good and loving and a kind father knows that. But we want grandpa. We want the fun guy. In my own life, I've seen this principle at work. Seth, one of my twins, fell uh, a while ago, two summers ago. Uh, we were hiking Rattlesnake Gulch Trail. Um, and uh, we were, were just walking and he just as boys do, they just, he just fell over, right? I mean, um, girls don't do that, but boys do for some reason. They just fall down. Um, or others. Uh, anyway, um, so he fell and, and Sandy screamed and I ran, ran to him. And as I looked down and I, and I did not put pictures up here, so you are welcome. Um, as I ran to him, uh, I got down to him. He was holding his leg and, it, and when I got to his knee, it was completely wide open. It had just been filleted all the way down to the bone and ligaments. And like a shark bite. And I looked at Sandy, I'm like, what in the world? Like, what did you do as a good loving husband? And she's like, he just fell. 
I'm like, on a chainsaw? <laughs> I mean, this, this knee was enormously open, uh, a very severe wound. He had just hit a rock perfect, and it just opened it up. Um, so we were about 45 minutes from our car, and so I picked him up. Thankfully, he wasn't super heavy, uh, and I had to just keep his legs straight. Took my shirt off, which is super embarrassing on the trail. Took my shirt off, wrapped up his leg, tied it real tight, and just carried him straight all the way down to the car, put him in the car, took him to the emergency room. We get into the emergency room and uh, I had done a good job keeping him calm from him not going into shock and not passing out. But then we laid him on the table and they had to scrub it. Um, and they needed me because of my weight to kind of lay on him, right? It's not that I had any skill level. They're like, you're heavy, you'll hold him down. So I laid down and, and you can imagine this for some of you parents that have had serious injuries. His face kind of leaned up and his eyes bugged out and his eyes were screaming to me, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Stop them. This hurts. And his face, his eyes, he wasn't saying it, but his eyes were looking at his father saying, you have the ability to stop this. Do something. And as much as I tried to look down at him, I tried to convey to him, this is for your own good. They're going to fix your knee. The pain that you're going through right now is going to have an effect on your greater healing. And we just tear, you know, just tears falling on his face from me because I wish so much. A, he probably couldn't breathe, but I, I wish I could have just taken that pain from him. I wish it had been my knee. I, I, I wish I could just reach down and touch it and it would be healed in Jesus' name. But it couldn't. It had, he had to go through the pain. Because if I had obeyed his plea of stop the pain, do something, you have the ability from this temporary pain, his knee would not have been treated. And he'll show you his gnarly scar. I mean, it's huge. We're working on stories. Because as much as I fell as cool now, when he's a teenager, I fell, is gonna be as cool. So we're working on some stories. I knew more than Seth did about his circumstances. I knew what he needed. And it broke my heart. But I didn't take the pain away. If God knows more about our circumstances than we do and desires good things for us, perhaps, perhaps he uses our painful suffering for a greater purpose. And perhaps we would miss it if he were to intervene and take that pain away. Does that mean God gave you your pain? No, I, Sandy didn't trip Seth. I didn't throw him to the ground. His brothers, for once, didn't kick him. <laughs> it happened. God doesn't give pain. God doesn't give suffering. God doesn't hurt you. But he's not always going to reach down and pluck you away from that pain and that suffering. 
And this isn't an easy thing. But one thing is certain. And this is why we don't just focus so much on the intellectual with some of these questions. There is a faith element to it. There is a, a surrendering of one's heart and saying, you know more than I and you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to have to wrestle with that. But nevertheless, that's where I'm going to end. But any intellectual response to the question of pain won't make that experience go away. And any intellectual response is not going to help you endure it any better. I could look at Seth and go, listen, they've, uh, they've got soap on the scrub brush. They're, they're scrubbing it. It's going to take away any infection. And they're going to do all. He doesn't care. It hurt. And if you are in a place where you are currently experiencing pain or you can vividly remember that pain, you don't care what the answers are. It just hurts. And so it's not easy. People think C.S. Lewis is a spiritual hero. Read his books. You'll see he's not a spiritual hero. Here's a real guy. He's just honest. And here's what he says. He says, oh, you would like to know how I behave when I'm experiencing pain? When I'm not writing books about it? You need not guess for I will tell you I'm a great coward. How's that for honesty? It's one thing to have the answers. It's one thing to preach the truth. But then C.S. Lewis himself goes, look, here are all the answers, but I'm a coward when there's pain and suffering. I have a, I'll just be honest with you. I have a fake tooth right in the front. Now you're going to be staring at me every time you talk to me. <laughs> I, I knocked it out three times pole vaulting in high school. They should have just left it out. <laughs> Would have looked, and then I could have been like a hockey player, you know. <laughs> so I knocked it out several times, but I've got some kind of root. I, Katie, can we talk afterwards? <laughs> I got some kind of like root thing going on, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure either I've got cancer of the mouth area or root problem, or is any of that making sense, Katie? Anyway, she's a dentist. <laughs> not asking you to diagnose me from afar. <laughs> I'm just saying I need help, okay? I told Sandy this morning I'm dreading going to see Katie. Why? Because I'm, I know either they're going to have to take all my teeth out, like I'm thinking of the worst, right? All my teeth are gone or they're going to have to drill up in there and remove everything and I don't want that and I can't afford it and so I'm dreading the pain and the suffering. Now you might go, well, you're not dying. I know, but for all of you, your pain and suffering is your pain and suffering, just because it doesn't look like the person next to you doesn't mean it's not painful for you. And because of that, we have a loving God that says, I don't care how big or small your pain and suffering is. Bring it to me. Amen. Come as you are. Come with your pain. Come with tears in your eyes. Come shaking your fist, but come. Pain and suffering, no matter how much we know about them intellectually, have a way of tapping into our core. 
you want to see how tough a man is, give him the flu. <laughs> Women, man, they just full speed ahead. Men, it's like you've been shot. <laughs> like you're going to die um, because it hurts. They expose what we're made of the way other emotions don't. And perhaps this is why Lewis says this about our experience in pain. He discovered that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. But if we're not careful, we'll miss it. In the midst of our pain, we might miss it. And he's shouting, shouting. Could it be that pain helps us grow? Even though it can be hard in the moment or, or even retrospect. No matter the reason, it seems that pain and suffering is unavoidable. That much I know to be true about this world. The moments where life is just dandy and everything's going great and it's peaceful and it's just a mundane week, celebrate those. What do we do in our reactions? How do we deal with our pain? What do we do with our experiences is how we grow. And the scriptures, even though that they don't fully explain and give a perfect answer on why there is pain and suffering, the scriptures are incredibly loud on what do we do with pain and suffering and what's happening during pain and suffering. I want to read several of these. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, those who are suffering. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 2 Corinthians 1, the Lord comforts us in our troubles. Romans chapter 8, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed one day. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 1 Peter chapter 5, after you have suffered, he will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 2 Corinthians 4, our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which outweighs them all. We literally could sit here all day and we could read scriptures in Matthew and John and Hebrews and Isaiah and Colossians and James and on and on and on. This book, I gave you four that talk about suffering and pain. This book, a huge portion of it talks about suffering and pain. And it's not written from a man who struggles with his wife. It's written from the very mouth of God. It gives life. It gives hope. It gives determination. You see, the problem of pain and suffering should not cause us 
to question God's existence, his love, his kindness, his power, his authority, but rather it should cause us to cry out in unbridled thankfulness that we, unlike Jesus on the cross, do not face it alone. It changes the question. You are not alone in your suffering. You are not alone in your pain. It's interesting in a, in a culture that wants to promote individualism and just you and think for yourself and, and have your own decisions and look out for number one, it will preach that from the rooftops until pain happens. And then who is there with you? Your God is right there with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. There's this beautiful, maybe you've heard this analogy, but I just want to share it because it just fits so perfect with this idea of pain and suffering. Uh, the beauty of pearls. Any of you like pearls? Any of you wear pearls? Randy likes pearls. You raised your hand for the first one. First question. Okay. So Randy likes pearls. He doesn't wear pearls. Video, duly noted. Okay. Pearls are beautiful. You see someone wearing a set of pearls in the right circumstances, man, they just shine. You see, you see uh, people at, at the Oscars or whatever, you see a set of pearls or pearl ear earrings. They're just, there's a beauty in the unmistakable stone. But do you know how a pearl begins? Yeah, dirt. A piece of sand, uh, a dirty piece of sand finds its way into a sealed oyster. And that oyster immediately, scientists have discovered, is in pain. Think pebble in your shoe. That piece of sand sits inside the oyster and the oyster desperately tries to get rid of it and it can't. So after a while, the oyster begins to coat with its inner lining, coats that piece of sand, all the while trying to get rid of it. Anything humanly possible, not humanly, anything oyster possible. <laughs> Just tries to get rid of it to ease the pain. And still, the oyster suffers. And again and again and again, that piece of sand is coated, but that irritant remains. <clears throat> that pain stays. The oyster views the now being shaped pearl as nothing more than suffering. And then one day a fisherman pulls the oyster out, opens it up, and the gem inside has an amazing beauty and holds great value, all because the oyster had suffering. Maybe it's not accidental. You go, well, that's kind of a cute story, Brian. Move on to something substantial. I think there's something powerful about the pearl. And maybe 
just maybe that's why the 12 gates in the new Jerusalem that are discussed in Revelation 21 are made of pearls. There are streets of gold, but the gates are pearls. And it's the suffering of our Savior that allows those pearls to be there. Because the only way those gates were formed is through suffering. I've never been to heaven. Hopefully that's not a shock to you. But I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it looks like, these priceless gates that are in existence because of personal suffering. We had June Taylor's um, funeral here yesterday, celebration of life. And I asked June uh, a couple times um, in the hospital room, do you think about heaven much? What do, you, what do you think about? What have you thought about? It's kind of my go-to question for someone who's about to die because I haven't been in their shoes. And she said, I, I don't think about heaven much. Um, in fact, there was a little anxiety with her because it, it was an unknown land that she was going to. It wasn't familiar. And so she's like, I don't think about it much. And I said, do me a favor. Just close your eyes and, and picture. What, what do you picture when you think of heaven? And she looked at me on her hospital bed and she said, I don't picture anything. I just know God will be there and so will I. childlike faith and I just want to say to you allow yourself as Alex referred to earlier allow yourself just to be a kid if you have pain and suffering or if you're caring for someone in pain and suffering and therefore you carry that with you allow yourself just to be a kid and know that you've got a father who loves you understands, who's going to walk with you and sit with you and cry with you and struggle with you, you do not go at this alone. The God of all creation who, who knows every flower that's on the face of the planet, who knows every drop of water in the ocean, who knows every snowflake that falls from the air, that God wants to walk through the highs and the lows of anything that happens in your world. He's not a distant, far-off being, not an unapproachable deity. He's a loving Father, and He cares about you. Let's pray together. Jesus, someone who knows anything about pain and suffering, it's you. To be wrongfully accused, to have a set-up trial, to have the verbal insults and accusations, 
have the physical torment even before the cross. To be alone in that, both physically of your best friends and then also your father. To hang on that cross all by yourself. I thank you so much that you understand. And for every single person in this room and for those who are watching online, you understand grief, you understand pain, you understand suffering, and there's hope. There are answers. There's life. There's relief only found in you. And so thank you that you provide great answers for these life questions us to rest in some of those now as we continue to worship. You are great God and King, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?